Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that? And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good, great, grand, wonderful. No yelling in the butt! Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFour in the Duck House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Me on the other end of the line today, Jeff Foles. How you doing, yeah, man? We're, we're day off. Apologize, but I had to take the kids to a 4-H show yesterday, so we're kind of we're, we're and then and then we're running behind this morning recording this. But then I get back to the farm this morning, and my air conditioners are out. So That's not only right. we're a day late, we're a few hours late. That's okay. That's all right. That 4-H stuff, I think everybody understands. That's for them kids. Anything of them kids is way more important than this. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we're and taking I, a duck hunt or something. <laughs> I pre- I, and I will say that about Jeff. I, Jeff said, hey, we record today. I said, Jeff, I thought maybe I would, would be able to record today. I'd just run out to the truck and we'd record for an hour. But it was it was wild. I said, Jeff, I don't think we'll be able to record today. We're going to have to do it in the morning. Within two seconds, you responded, "Man, I hundred percent understand. Go take care of your kids." That's yeah, it's all yeah, all good. That's all good. It's all no, good. I, I do, that. I do get a lot of. But where's the podcast? What's happened to the podcast and all that? I usually tell them, "Here it comes." You know, it's coming. It might be you know one of these days here, but yeah, we got it. So, uh, but I want to thank some of these people out here. My gosh, my uh, private message thing's been full up. Over the last few weeks, with people, uh, you know, either guys that had judged me before, you know, and apologizing or didn't know the story and thanking me for telling the story and and uh, for different things we talked about. And I really, really want to uh, really appreciate all those people that's done that. I mean, it's hard to respond to them all, but you know, I tried my best to. But my gosh, it's nice to hear from all you people. You know, it makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel good. And, it's, and I had a guy from uh, Arkansas. Uh, runs a big club down there, and he called me the other day, and he goes, my God, I've showed all my guides and everything down here. They just didn't get it with the piles of ducks and, and uh, tagging them and doing all the different stuff, you know, and, and what could happen as a party hunting, you know. And he goes, my gosh, we've done this for years, you know. And he said, how do you not do that? And I said, I don't know, but you're going to have to, you know. He goes, well, how do you know who shot? Well, I said, I don't know. I said, but, you know, I'm just telling you what can happen here, you know, so. It's opened a lot of eyes and ears, I think, and hopefully it's helped some people, you know, so they don't go through what I did. Jeff, in the past couple of days, there has been, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say just arguing, but but tension. Animosity. (laughs) Yeah. And and like I said, I I don't want to get into personal about this, but... You know, with everybody that listens to this podcast and it's part of Duck South, what 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 is the deal with that? What between it, it seems like you can make a post on on Duck South and there's one person that always comes after you. Um, it's been that guy for years, and I guess it probably isn't anything, you know. And there's you've always got, you know, and you know sometimes they say one bad egg spoils a basket, but it's not spoiling mine, and it hasn't for years, you know. Uh, you know, one thing, you know, I think, you know, last week we talked about the marketing side, you know, and, and if I come on for wrong, I'm sorry, but I basically said back in the way it used to be, and the way it used to be is, is uh, you know, 
the only way you were in this industry is you went out and won some contests and you, and you took out ads and you went to shows and you worked hard at it. And I just said, it's easier now. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody that has earned it now. There's a lot of good callers out there that are using this, are, that are using what they've done, where they've won worlds or they've won whatever titles or whatever they do, and they're using this social media and they're very good at it, you know. Some of them is and some of them at, you know, and, and aren't. Uh, but w- if you come at everybody hard like this and argue over every point, it, it, it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to work for you. But but I'm not saying, I'm not saying it is, you know, putting down the guys that have earned it today and out there, you know, I very well respect them for what they're doing. I've learned a lot of social uh, media marketing off of those guys, you know. But all I'm trying to say is, is now it's easy for anybody to go out and do that that didn't get up on a stage or did guided or did whatever and earned it like that way, you know. So uh, it is a lot easier than it used to be. So that's all I was after. I wasn't after to start with. I wasn't cutting nobody down, and I didn't want no, and I wasn't grumpy about it, you know. I was just telling the way it is. So um, if somebody took it wrong, they did, you know, and whatever. But uh, uh, but for the most part on there, I get a big kick out because most of your guys on there on almost everything it is that you have on there, it'll end up a funny argument, you know, back and forth. And I get a big kick out of listening to guys go jaw at each other back and forth, and they all get a kick out of it, and it's all men's stuff and fun stuff, you know, and there isn't any little boy mad getting arguing stuff over. So uh, anyway, you look past that, you know, and uh, like I said in the last post, I was done. You know, I was done with it, and I said, and what you do for those people, you pray for them, you know. So that's what we're told to do. So and let it go with that. Oh, there's a lot of people that came to your defense. A lot, a lot of people in in a couple of threads that I saw. I've been so busy past couple of weeks with um, we're at the barn. It's hard to keep up with every single thing that goes on in Duck South, and thank goodness I have awesome moderators that do. But I did see those couple of threads, and there's a lot of high-profile people that that came to kind of came to your defense in well, that whole deal. You know, or, I don't I don't know if it was so much. It, well, it was your defense, but also. Telling the guy, look, you just need to shut up, dude. You, well, you're not, you just go from place to place to place and, and cause trouble. Well, that's one of those, that was what I was getting ready to say. You know, we've all dealt with this same deal. And it's not like I'm the only one that has or I'm the main target or nothing like that. You know, I'm probably the most vocal one of the bunch. But the feelings are almost the same with everybody, you know, and have been for years. And so it, it's a crying shame. But, um, you know, what it does to me, it aggravates, it gets to me where you're like, gosh, you can't even say nothing, you know. You're trying to help, you're trying to say what it was, and just tell a story, and that's what this is all about. You got somebody, you know, got to, you know, ruin the whole thing, you know. Like you told me, you know, here a few weeks ago, go on there and post anything educational you want to, do whatever, and I feel that's what a lot what these podcasts are about, is, you know, take a, there's a lot of educational stuff that can be learned. I hope a lot of people do learn from my mistakes or what's happened to me. So... If I got it, what it does, it takes the fire out of you to go do that because you're like, gosh, if I'm going to get on here and get beat up by this, you know. But, like I said, you know, so, sometimes one, one egg can spoil the whole basket, but uh, I'm not going to let it. So, Just because I've dealt with this the same stuff for years. So, anyway, so. Well. Like I said, pray for him, go on, you know. <laughs> Well, like I said, it, you know, one of them, man, one of the guys that got on there and made a comment really, really surprised me because you never hear ever a negative comment come out of his mouth. I'm not going to say any names, of, but who, who this is uh, with one, or who made that comment. The, right. He's one of the top guys in the industry, and uh, you know, and not just the waterfowl, you know, and and and, and one of the top hunters around, and hunts all over the world and stuff. And everybody, I don't know one people, one person that does have respect for him. And uh, I PM'd him and talked to him a little bit after this, you know, and and uh, you know, and it's just basically, you know, we've dealt with it, we've all dealt with this, you know. So this is this what it is, and it is, you know. So I don't understand it all, you know, but. Uh, 
Yeah, he went in. Uh, but when he says that, you know, you're not you're not the only one that's got this feelings. You know, like I said, that's I may true. be the most vocal against it. You know, but but uh, anyway. All right. Well, back to the story. Back to the story. The redemption story. Jeff, the last time we talked, you were, were reporting to prison. Yeah, you know, you said it was, that uh, you, And you said that you walked in and you gave them, uh, first off, you didn't have a class to tell you what, what to bring what not to bring, but also the, when you <laughs> got there, they they pretty much Well, they actually, they and, meet you outside. And uh, I remember when I got there, uh, when I went down the direction, my buddy took me, and I kept saying, no, my kids will take, excuse me? Got to be a lot of anxiety on that ride. Yeah, I took off that morning. I had to report before noon, and uh, it's about a three-hour drive. So my buddy took me and uh, went down, and he said, do you want something to eat before you go in? I said, yeah. And, uh you know, I try to stay, you know, I try to eat right and try to, and the last thing I'd ever eat is a hamburger with a bun on it or something, you know, you know at that, especially at that point in my life, you know, I never would eat anything like that. And, and I said, yep, pull into Burger King, and I want a, a Whopper with everything on it, French fries, soda, the whole deal, and I want you to take it, and we're going right down here to Crab Orchard Refuge, where a guy didn't used to watch all the time. I said, I want to sit there. It was in November, look at the refuge and eat my lunch. He said, I'll take you for a steak. I said, nope, that's what I want. So uh, that's what we did, and then went down. And uh, uh, when you pull in that gate, uh, Marion Federal Prison sets uh, it sets out in kind of in the south of Marion. It's uh, between the Interstate 57 and Route 148. It's out in the woods. They own, I'd hate to say how many hundred or thousand acres they own, a bunch. And it's not like something you can drive by and see it from the road. You know, there's a road that says Prison Road, but uh, anyway, it sets down there. It sets real close. It's real close to uh, Burns' Goose Club and, and uh, Grounds' Club. A lot of clubs surround this thing. And it was kind of funny because years ago, and I won't say who it was, but when the guards used to be in the towers all the time, uh, one of the guys was a, gu- a guide at Burns's. And he'd always give us a call and say, here comes the geese from seeing it, because he could see them over the tower coming, and he'd warn us, and here they come, you know, so we'd be ready when here come the migrators, you know. So so I knew a lot about this prison already, or the location and everything, but you never know it until you drive down that road. So you drive in, and it's a big, big facility. you know, it's just you start and then you go, oh my God! You know, when you see the wires, the fences, and the guard towers, and you know the whole deal, and you're like, oh boy! So you report in, and uh, the guy meets you out there and tells you what you can take in, what you can't. And uh, I had phone numbers and email addresses, and he, yeah, you can take that, and that was it. And come on in, that was the end of it. So we go hey, in hey, and Jeff, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff, I, w- I want to ask you this real quick: is it is it the fear of the unknown? kind of just drives that anxiety, or is it the thought? And and I want to as you think about not having just regular, everyday freedoms that you've had your whole life since you were born, being taken away, is that what, which one has more of this driving kind of that anxiety as you're going? Well, it's probably just the unknown. You know, because you knew nothing. You know, you didn't want to expect. You know, I mean, all anybody, all anybody knows is what they see on TV. You know, and you don't know what's going on, what's going to happen, who to meet, what's going to happen. You know, anything about it. I was pretty much uh, mentally prepared for that. But then I guess when you get there, reality hits, you know, and your cell phone, you throw it at your buddy and you never see it, you know. Just, just for one thing along. Anybody out there, just think... This thing, if you want to, somebody took your cell phone away, and that was it. No more communication, no more communication at all, and you're done for 13 months. That's a biggie right there, you know. And it might not sound big, but it is. Once you, it, it might tell you take it away, and then all your community, you know, you're not talking to nobody. You're done. So all the people that's been your friends and you go go see, and all that's over, done. 
You don't know anybody. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes through your mind, Dan, but I was prepared to just get this over with as fast as, and I made my mind up. I thought, when I go in here, if I can possibly do it, you know, I've read enough about it, seen enough about it, if I can work out, that's all I'm going to do is work out great in great shape, read. There was a lot of things I wanted to do like it. So, uh, anyway, the guy comes on, takes me in, and uh, you walk in, and uh, they take you straight uh, to a room. And uh, the very, very first thing that they said, there was two guys in there, and uh, I'll never forget, a super nice guy. Uh, two guards, and, and I'll never forget uh, the first words out of their mouth. They looked at me, and now you got to realize I'm in Marion, where I have guided. They're all goose and duck hunters down there. Very few people aren't, and almost all these guys I knew, or I'd sold them calls or something. The guards I'm talking about, you know, and so I knew a bunch of them, and uh, I didn't know the one, but he knew me, and he I walked in. I guess I'd been the talk of the prison, you know, who's coming, and so I, anyway, I walked in there, and uh, the guy goes, "I got one thing to ask you." <clears throat> I go, "What's that?" And he goes. Who in the hell did you piss off to get in here? I said, I can't talk about this. I'm under a gag order. It's kind of a long story. He just shook his head. He goes, do you know you're the third guy, third guy since the 60s been in this prison for a misdemeanor? Do you understand where you're at? I said, well, I know where I'm at. He goes, no, you don't understand. This is this is Marion. This is the big time. I said, this is federal. This ain't state. This is federal. So I said, well, <clears throat> I don't know the difference. He goes, well, there's a lot of difference between the two. So <clears throat> he said, here's what you do. He goes, I'm sure you're a man who lived with, uh, you're a man, man with lived with a cell phone on your side all the time. I said, yep. He goes, well, you ain't got one now. But you won't be in here. You won't be in here no time. You won't be in here three hours. And if you want a cell phone, you can get one. You can buy one in here. And, oh, boy, they'll know you probably got money, so they're going to come after you, you know. And uh, he said, but I'll tell you what, you use that cell phone or if somebody's going to let you, he goes, you are not. You don't get a phone call home for like, I don't know, it's four, five, six days, week or something, you know. So he said, you're going to be offered a phone to use. I'll go ahead and call you. He goes, now, if they get caught with that cell phone later on and your number pops up, and believe me, we'll, we'll trace every number there is in there that's been in that phone, if any number comes up there that comes back anyway at sorts to you, you get 184 more days. And you get to spend wow. most of that in the hole. I go, dude, I don't want no phone. I don't want anything. And he goes, if you drink, I'm sure you drank a lot when he was out there. You know, I said, yeah, I drank. You know, he said, and uh, he goes, well, you can get anything you want in here. You want vodka. You want good whiskey. You want rotten gut whiskey. You want anything you want. You can get it in here. He said, but you know what? We run a breathalyzer. Don't let us catch that. He goes, and that'll send you away for that. Oh, oh boy. So he gives oh, me no. all the in and out of this. <laughs> all right. So, yes, sir. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking of, of Shawshank Redemption as we talk about this. You know, they, <laughs> you, you, you need a hammer, it costs you 40 cigarettes. Yeah. How, how, are we, how are you paying for a phone while you're in prison if you're stripped of your clothes, your money, anything that you walked in there with? Well, you get uh, money for, uh, 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 oh, gosh, consignment type deal. You know, you get money for, you can buy, uh, it's not consignment. What do they call it? Uh, golly, can't think of the name now. Anyway, you can buy. Yeah. So you can buy, uh, like you can buy, uh, you get a little list and stuff you can buy. So you can buy stamps. You can buy, you can buy like a book, book of stamps a week, Okay. And you can buy, and they're not cheap in there. Nothing's cheap in there. And you can buy rice or cookies or potato chips or a, a soda. It won't be Coke or not be some off-brand. You can buy all that kind of stuff like that or like a pair of gym, gym trunks or you can buy a pair of tennis shoes or socks or a, like a wife beater shirt or something like that. You can buy that kind of stuff uh, on there. So the, And that happens once every two weeks you can go and, and uh, put your order in. So you get stamps. Everything inside there between prisoners is bought with stamps. That's how you buy stuff. Stamps are just uh. like money. Stamps are money. Now, and I, and I should let all this out, I guess, but now if you want more stamps and you're like, man, I only got a book and this guy's wanting, uh, you know, so much stamps. So, uh, 
you, you, you can, there's ways, all I'm going to say, there's ways to get more stamps. You can have money sent on the outside to somebody else on the outside, and next thing you know, you got 50 stamps, you know, or 100 stamps or whatever to start trading with. And so what the most of them use stamps for, yeah, it can be used for that kind of stuff, but the biggest deal with stamps in there is, um, well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but you, you can buy other things. Like you, the guy works in the kitchen, uh, okay? So a prisoner works in the kitchen, got a little job, he works in there. So you don't get fed real good in there. So you want an extra that chicken today, and you like chicken? Well, you know, for four or five stamps, you can get another piece of chicken. Or you want to make a, something out of a microwave on the weekend or something where you get to, uh, like, rice bowl or something. You need some... Uh, uh, and if you need, you know, some uh, uh, vegetables to go in there, some green peppers and onion or whatever, you know, you can do it like that. You And your bed, like you get a cot, and, um, I was, you know, it's bunks. And so I slept on the top bunk, and it's about 30 inches wide. So, And it's broke down, wore out. It's got the perfect U-shape in the middle. <laughs> you ain't going to roll out. And it's wool army blankets on there. So, And I don't know, poor poor army guys, you know, it's in that have to use them. That's the most itchy thing. You know, It's like falling an itch weed sleeping on one of them. So oh you're supposed to have this bed made, you know, almost like a barracks, you know, like an army barracks. Well, <clears throat> you don't want to do that. There's a guy will come around. He will make your bed. He'll keep your bed made every day for you. He'll get, make that bed for you. And... He'll even wash your sheets, you know, once a week or whatever, and it'll cost you maybe a book of stamps a month for him to do that. Because he he's been in there so long, he has no other money, nothing coming in, see? So that's how he's getting his, making it. Uh, laundry. Uh, they have a deal of laundry. You can go do your laundry at certain times, and they have a roll of washers and dryers and stuff in there. <coughs> and... Uh, Anyway, you can go use that. Well, that's fine. You can go use it. But more fights in prison are at the laundry fighting over who gets the laundry, who gets the washer next, the dryer next. So I've seen more fights, more guys go to the hole over that than anything. And so you want somebody to do your laundry? No problem. Book a stamps a month to do your laundry. Do it twice a week. So that's how. And then there was guys in there that had a lot of money on the outside and they never cooked a meal. They went into the kitchen to eat one time. They'd have the prisoners. Uh, a lot of them guys have been there so many years. They're, they're chefs on a microwave. It's unbelievable what they can make. But uh, And it'll just have them cook for them all the time. So a lot of ways of using stamps, you know. Or I don't know how some of this even works. Yeah, you want that whiskey or vodka or something? It's available. Cigarettes, which you ain't supposed to have. They don't want to smoke. But somehow they how they do it I don't even know I, I know I know some of how they do it but a lot of stuff gets in there that uh, and if you want Tito vodka or just bar vodka it's a difference you know it's expensive it's, it's pretty expensive a lot more expensive than it is out here if you if you figured up the dollar amount but yeah but you can get it <laughs> uh, Jeff uh, walk me through this you you talked about the first interaction that you had with the those two security guards. Do you remember mm-hmm. the first prisoner that oh, you like had, it was... like, an interaction with? <laughs> That's like, um, that is like uh, uh, probably sunk in my, like, branded in my mind, that, that whole deal. So once he gets you checked in and all that, then he says, uh, what size shirt do you wear? Oh, a large. Here, you'll grow into this. Gives you a 3X uh, orange T-shirt. Oh, my gosh. Uh, size pants you wear. I don't know, like a 32 or something. Uh, here. And they're, I mean, he's here. There's one size fits all. Here, just put, you know. So you put this on, you know, and, you, and they got elastic waist. It's almost with a string, tighten it, you know. And uh, what size shoes you wear? Tans, they grow into these. And I give you a slip-on pair of those slip-on uh, tennis shoe-like deals, and you put them on, and they're 14s or 13s, whatever. I mean, it's almost like they're just trying you, you know. So... Then, that's the only time I really had you know, had to wear them at that point, you know. So, so then there's a prisoner, and his job, he's been in there for years, and he's worked his way up. And, see, they get paid for, you get paid for every job you do. I mean, but it's, when I say get paid for it, like, 
I worked in a welding shop for a while. I got two dollars and twenty five cents a month. So, so that's how you. Wow. But but that's a big money to those guys. At least they get a little something on their phone or whatever, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, first prisoner that you ran into. First prisoner. So he's the first one. He meets me. Nice guy. Mike, I'm going to take you down here, and this is where you're going. He goes, you're not going to like it. It's called, you know, it's called the ghetto. Everybody goes there to start. I go, oh, well, whatever. And he said, I'm not saying nothing. He goes, look, he goes, there's a little bunch of guys that's got a little religious thing going down here. And he said they pool their money and they buy on the, um, you know, commissary. That's the word I'm looking for, commissary. commissary. He said on the commissary, he said they buy a bunch of stuff, soap and shoes, shower shoes and all this here. You don't dare get a shower down there without some kind of a shoe on it, you know. And um, he said they, you know, he said they pool money, and then when new prisoners come in, and they give them a little welcome kit with stuff like that. He said you'll be getting one of those. And he said, and um, you know, he's give me a few ins and outs. So, so he takes me down, downstairs. I'm walking through this prison. You see all these prisoners and stuff, you know. And you see a lot of them. They're doing different things. You walk down there, and he's okay. Here's you go in your bunk. Well, you go in here, and there's, I think there's 375. Uh, prisoners and half were on the top floor and half were on the bottom floor, and went through his double doors and go down there. Now and you go through and there's two block walls on each side. You're going down this hallway. This block walls about six foot tall, and there's a door opening going to each one. And there's prisoners in every one of them. So when I got down there, he goes, "All right, here's your bunk down here." So I walk into this cell, uh, this block wall. He walked through this cell deal down there, and there were 16. 16 uh, prisoners in each these cells. So, and they're divided into fours. If this may, It's like a little room. There's a block wall, four block walls, and there's like four prisoners in each one. Now, this is small, real small. And there's two bunk beds. Okay, there's two bunk beds on each side of this. So I get the top bunk, and uh, there's your bunk, and you got a locker, little bitty locker. I mean, you can't put much in this locker. That's your locker, and that's all you have. Now, this is what you have. The rest of your time. This is what you got. So, okay, there you are. And everybody else will kind of tell you to follow everybody to lunch. When the lunchtime comes, there's a count time, and they count in to do all this here. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, so I'll just give you a little scenario. Uh, I am, especially after being there, now I'm a hillbilly growing up in the country out there, especially after being there, I am the farthest, farthest thing from a racist at all. But and I don't know how to put this without making it sound like it. But but the truth of it was, I go in there it was me and fifteen Afro-American guys. So that's what I, I'm I like, was going to ask you about being. Is there some type of racial division, like the Hispanics, um, the whites, the the blacks? No, the worst together? part's more. The worst of it's more. Um, uh, it's more. I'd say there's a worst. Clash between uh, the Mexicans and the Afro-American guys. You know, I'd say that's the worst clash right there. And uh, you know, that's one night. <laughs> so anyway, the first I'm not in there a week. And talk, when you when you brought that up, it clicked something in my mind. A major, major fight, and uh, broke out in the yard. And uh, they sent a bunch of us over there, and they locked everybody down in that area. And uh, we had to go uh, go over and clean it up and do some cooking and all like that. It's uh, when you got a locker, you can buy a padlock on commissary. And the deadliest thing weapon there is is a padlock and a sock. And she measured damage that caused. And Ooh. blood was everywhere. Everything. It was a mess. It was uh, one or two guys got killed. A lot of them are injured and stuff. And and uh, but anyway, they locked them all down. We had to go over and work the kitchen and stuff for. And clean it up and do all the chores they did for for like I don't know four five six days or something or a week till they line locked them. We didn't have to do it every day, but anyway. So yeah, so it was a it was a eye opener as soon as you get in. So yeah, the guy was right. I wasn't in there no time. One of the guys and and I won't say those guys were were they were nice to me, you know. And uh, they had been, you know, I'm at. What are you in here for, man? <laughs> I'm not making fun of the way they talk. It's just the way it was. What are you in here for, man? And no, you don't look like you ought to be here. And I said, look down, I go, shooting too many ducks. They started laughing, go, what? You know, most of them are city street guys that don't even know what a duck is. 
You know what I'm saying? So I said, yeah. Well, let me, all right, so you're there for shooting ducks. The majority yeah. of the people that are in there, what? can you give me a range of crimes? Yeah, the majority. I'm going to say the majority. Well, there's two different prisons there. And the big prison is, is child molesters, and uh, right now it's child molesters and uh, terrorists. And uh, that's where you go when you go to the hole and go all that. Okay, and and so these people where I'm at is over there. They've been in there. They're on their last ten years. Ten years or less, people's in there. Okay, and a lot of most of the guys, I'd say most of them, in there have come off a major drug charge, maybe a murder charge, maybe uh, shooting deal, whatever. You know, most of them, but I'm going to say the majority, big, big drug deals, you know. And I'm going to say of the drug deals, I'm going to say uh, there's probably 60% of them are meth. And most of these meth guys, it's 10 years. If they took it across the state line somehow, bought something across there, it's fed, that makes it federal, so it's 10 years. So at least. Now, a lot of them's in there, for, you know, a lot of them, there's, but... I mean, there's guy. One of my best buddy in there uh, was an Afro American guy out of uh, Indiana, Terry Hood, Indiana, and and I love that guy like a brother to this day. But and man, he'd been he had one day. He said, "What is that in your leg?" Ah, that's where I got shot. Well, what do you mean you got shot? He, goes, he started laughing at me. He goes, "Boy, you don't know, do you?" And I go, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." And uh, he pulled up his uh, uh, pants legs right there, and, and he been shot five times one leg. I go, are you kidding? He goes, yeah, I got one here in my gut, too. And he pulled up his shirt and was right there. Of course, the guy had an eight-pack abs and whatever, you know. And, and and he just started laughing. He goes, boy, you ain't street smart, are you? I said, dude, I never smoked a joint in my life. I don't even know. And he, they laughed. So I was kind of a funny guy for them, you know. So when I said I was in there for ducks, right. you know, I was like, they was looked at me, and right away, I didn't know no better. I wouldn't even told them that. I'm a narc now to them. Nobody believes that. And I said, I got misdemeanors. Nobody in here has got misdemeanors. I said, well, I do. I got two misdemeanors. No way. I go, what? I said, nope. So, anyway, within eight or nine hours, they're back going, man, you ain't kidding. You are in here for ducks. I go, how do you know? He goes, dude, we're jailhouse attorneys in here. We can tell you anything. I mean, they can find more stuff out in the shortest period of time, you know. But you got you got to understand this prison system works uh, kind of like it does on the outside, you know. If the warden wants to know what's going on in here, he finds him a rat. And for the rat and deal, you get special privileges, you know. So it, it's all a game, you know, like that, you know. So it's, it's all – that's kind of how it works, you know. So anyway um, – so I get down there, and they all and so now they're like, "What did you do to get blah 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 blah?" And I said, so anyway, so they said, "Well, man, you got to meet Triple J." I go, "Who's Triple J?" So, oh man, he's in here for taxes and stuff. Man, he's got a big tax deal, but his big deal's for killing deer. I go, what? Yeah, he's a big deer hunter up in Iowa. I go, what are you talking about? And I said, "Point this guy out." So they did, and he was kind of stocky, type of guy you really wouldn't say nothing to. Look, you know, look like he's pretty tough, you know. Older guy. So one day I was down to we was down there and they let you out certain time when you right after you eat and uh, there's like uh, TVs in this hall and one of them will be uh, uh, what do you call it the, the black TV or whatever you know you know be that on there. Next one will be like the Mexican TV over here. Then there's one, uh, you know, and all it has is that kind of stuff on there. And then there'll be another one over here, be uh, guys that, uh, uh, you know, might watch uh, certain, I mean, they might watch The Voice or something, and I mean, they're like, this is like their life, you know, this TV time, you know. And they have certain chairs, they plastic chairs. That one right there on that square right there, that's, that's mine, bud. You know, you don't sit in a chair, you know. One night I'm down there. I pull up there, I'm just sitting there, you know, just kind of by myself looking around, and this guy's in front of me, and uh, he's sitting right in front of me, and now we haven't even met yet, and I know who this is, 
he's from Iowa and all that. And I just said behind him, I said, I said, dude, does the name Justin Mays mean anything to you? And there was fire in this guy's eyes immediately. And he turned around. I didn't know he was going to kill me or what. And he said, how do you know that name? I said, he's the one that put me in here. And he goes, he's the one that got me too. But he went on with the tax thing. And then we got to be friends, you know. So this guy had, oh, he had some hunters that had killed some deer on doe tags or whatever and took them across the state line, you know, whatever, in Iowa, because you got to draw for a tag there. He had a ton of, ton of big bucks. He was a killer. But they ended up getting him for taxes. Or I don't know what it was, something like that. He had something beyond. He'd been there a long time. It was something way beyond what, and him and I got to be friends. So uh, that was the only one that was remotely close to what, uh, you know, that, Anything you know that like what I had done, so what I was in there for. Jeff, when did uh, you, you talked about the the going in interaction with security guards, first prisoner you interacted with? When when did, I'm not I know that you're going to say that it really sunk in when you went into the prison, but when did it really really hit you. Man, I'm in freaking prison. Well, after you get at first at first it's all like you're on you're on twenty four seven guard, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you ain't there very long and you're like, these dudes are just like me and I was there like a day or something and one of the guys uh that was bunked there by me, you know, he'd been a long time. He'd been like thirty years or something. And uh, he was, I mean, he was prison smart, you know. I mean, he knew that he knew the whole system in and out. He laughed at me, and he said, uh, you're going to make it this fine. I go, what are you talking about? Well, what do you mean I'm going to make it fine? He goes, man, dude, I know you got family at home. You're used to the outside world and all that there. He goes, but you'll make it fine in here. And I go, why is that? He goes, you carry yourself well. Hey, what do you mean? He said, just you do what you do. He said, you carry yourself well. He goes, they prey on guys that, you know, that don't. And I later on, through the months, I saw that. I saw what he was talking about. So, I guess it was about, that's when things kind of started hitting me. It was about a week into it, six, you know, six, seven days into it. And by now, it's hitting you. I ain't getting out of here. I'm going home. I might as well get used to this. Man, these days, every day is like a month. And, you know, this is tough. This ain't going to be easy. This is nothing. I mean, it's like this is reality. You know, this is what it is. This is who you're living with. This is going to keep your guard up. This is what you got to see at night. This is what you got to, you know, and that, you know, and the hooping and hollering. You got to get used to it and whatever. So, finally, I looked around this place one day. I'll never forget this time. I was downstairs. Was oh, uh, was a they count you? And when I say they count you, uh, they count you several times a day. You go to your bunk. They call count, and here comes. Uh, two guards, you stand up, and they come by, and they can't, and they go to everyone and count you in case somebody escaped, basically. So, anyway, uh, that happens several times a day. So, one day, right after that, I'm standing around, and I'm looking at this whole situation, and by now, I know what these guys are in there for, and I looked around, and this guy's in here. He's been a drug dealer for years. This one here killed somebody. This one here stabbed his wife. This one here did this, this, and this, and you're going... And I'm in here for ducks. I've got a misdemeanor for ducks, and this is where they put me. And I'm not trying to make light of things here or nothing, you know, but it's the truth. It's reality now, and you're going. And finally, I just looked up, and I go, I'm not in here for ducks. Nobody puts you in there. That, you know, good Lord's put me in here, straightened me out. And, or, and, you know, and I really believed that. And so once I got that in my head, Things got easier, you know, and uh, so I got involved with uh, the religious stuff and all that, you know, and got reading the Bible and got going to, uh, you know, you you pick, you can pick what, you know, if you do, you go in and tell them whether you're a Catholic, a Baptist, or whatever you are, you pick. And so we would go, uh, so I was a Catholic, I'd been, I'd been all my life, so I went, uh, I uh, went to the Catholic deal on Thursdays. We had Mass on Thursdays, you know, and went there. And then uh, uh, you could, it's one of those deals where I'm just be, I'm just telling the truth here. I'm not beating up on Catholics any really. 
you could tell the priest did not want to be there. And I've been around him all my life. I've been an altar boy and everything. You know, I went to Catholic grade school and all that, but then this guy just didn't want to be there. One day he comes in, he goes, hey, I won't be here next week because there's five Sundays in a month. They only pay me for four. <laughs> that was the last time I went there. So wow. they wouldn't let you, like, like what I wanted to do was check all the religions out, and the chaplain really wouldn't let you do that. I mean, there, there are a lot of rules there. You didn't get to do much. You know, I mean, you get to change around. They're not dealing with you. They don't want to deal with you. So when he wasn't there, the days he wasn't there, I'd sneak over and go to a different one, you know, a different religion and go to their little service. And uh, it was kind of interesting because I kept seeing this deal. And no matter what religion you are, they have to let you do your religion, whatever it is. I don't care how what it is. They, they, they you know, it's law that they have to let you, you know, go go to a religious service. So one of them was the coolest thing. I kept looking. I go, what is going on up here? What are they doing? And I could see this fire and this guard watching them. Like, what is this outside? And it's just, what are they doing? And some guy said, oh, that's the Indians, you know, and they got their sweat lodge. And I go, what? And he goes, oh, yeah, the guards hate it, you know, because they got to deal with it. But, yeah, they've got to do let them. So I'm thinking, man. So I knew two or three of the guys in it, and I go, man, what does this consist of? And they kind of told me, so you want to go? I said, yeah, well, come on this day. What's his name? The chaplain, he won't be there. All right. It ain't going to be easy, dude. People's died in this thing before. Now, do you know what I'm talking about, a sweat, sweat lodge, Rocky? Oh, yeah. Well, what they'd done, they'd let them have this rounded tent thing, and they took those wool army blankets and put over the top of it, completely enclosed it, and in the center of the thing, there's a hole. There's a little ledge around the inside of this tent. And, the center, and then outside, there's out there, and the guard watches. He stands there and watches the whole deal and makes sure, you know, I mean, they watch him like a hawk on this deal. But they build a fire. They let them build a fire down there. But now they take them out. You know, there's jobs outside, too, they let them do, and they take them out and do that, and they chop their own wood and stuff. And they got rocks in there, and they heat these rocks up. I mean, these rocks almost glow, they're so hot. And they've got this tong thing, and they grab the rock, and they send it inside, through, open up the blanket, send it inside, and drop it in this, all these hot rocks in the center, a hole inside this tent. And then they got a five-gallon bucket of water in there, and they got a deer antler in there. They don't move these rocks. They don't never touch these rocks. They're like sacred. The only way they move this around with with a deer antler or like these tongs outside. So once they're heated, so I go in and they're all and there's a guy walks around chanting something. Yeah, I don't know what that is. They're chanting something, and I knew he was a biker that killed a guy, whatever, from St. Louis area, and, and uh, he had you know. I got tattoos all over me too. He had solid tattoos. You could tell he was a bad one, you know. And but I like the guy. He's a real good guy. He's the one that got me up there. So anyway, we go in there, and all of a sudden, can you imagine what's a day like today? And you're inside that sweat lodge with them hot rocks in there, the wool blankets around. It is you sweat like you've never sweat before, and you get down. It's so hot you will get. And then they throw water on it, makes steam, makes it twice as hot. So then you, you put your nose down against the ground and try to suck air from the outside. And, I mean, I wasn't going to say uncle, you know, and that's what they say. Nobody does. And their thought of this, this process of this, is they say you cleanse yourself and you come out just like you were a baby clean, you know, of all the spirits and all this here, you know. So, and you go in there four times. But I will say I made it through the four times. But, my gosh, what an experience that was, you know. So... Wow. Went through that. Then they had another one. It was a Viking deal where they banged on this 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 plate like deal, and I don't know. This is it was a whole different chanting deals. So I went to that. So there was a lot of new experiences, I can tell you. <laughs> but hey, uh, Jeff, you the, the whole your whole day has got to be scheduled out. Like it is. Yeah. Yeah. They uh, they have a gym slash metal building rec room like thing and uh you can go in and anytime you release it's you know it's right there you can go there just about any time you want to i mean it's not all the time you're locked down part of the time you know at night time you are and all that but your your day starts out at whatever time basically you want they have breakfast starts at six and you can either go eat breakfast or not and uh i want to say they count you at six o'clock maybe but anyway, 5.30 or 6, as soon as they do that count in the morning, uh, my day would start out, out the door I'd go, and head over to gym. 
and had, uh, I would just hang out with some guys over there. And then at 7 o'clock, they had a, uh, 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 like, a, I want to say aerobic workout. One of the guys led that had been in there for years, and he was built like, my gosh, anybody you ever seen in a fitness book, you know. And, uh, well, it was all cardio. And it's not easy stuff. Believe me, these guys don't. It's not like going to the gym with a trainer. I mean, they push you. And if you don't, you can imagine the names you're called if you don't work yourself through this. And that lasted about, oh, 40 minutes, something like that, and 45 minutes. And then I'd hurry up, go get my greens on. I had my gym shut, and you go ahead and put what your greens on. But after now, you're rid of all the orange clothes and all that. They give you a green uniform with these black work boots uh, that you wear. So <clears throat> they give you a job. I'll go back a little bit. They give you a job. The counselor there, when you first get in, they come up, or you got to go see him. You give him a list of ten people that can come and see you, a list of phone numbers you might call. That's it, and that's all. You, and then they give you a job. And I said, well, I was an iron worker on construction. Good. We need a welder. Can you weld? Yeah. And all right, you're going to the powerhouse. They have their, it's so big a facility, they have their own powerhouse, a couple hundred foot tall, whatever it is. And uh, big, a big deal. They, they make their own power. They've got their own water plant there. They're self-contained. So, um, anyway, so I had a job over there in a welding shop. So I would go, I had to be over at 8 o'clock. So I'd hurry up and get my greens on, and across the road I'd go. And we'd jack around over there until uh, build stuff, do whatever, you know, until, uh, um, you know, till I think we ate at 10, 30, or 11. And then we'd walk across the road and eat, and you had about an hour or something, you know, the jack around, do your eating, and go back down to your bunk, do everyone. And you had to go back over there till three, I think it was three or three thirty, and then back over you got because they count you again at four, and then you'd go eat supper right after that. When after, when they were done counting, you about four thirty, go to supper, and that was pretty relaxed actually. From there till ten o'clock, and then ten o'clock they counted you again, and it was locked down. Everybody was locked down to the next morning. So. I got in this, and I would work out at night. They had a, outside. They had a uh, an old one of those carport like things, you know, and they had weights underneath there, and had a weight benches and stuff. And, and actually, they hated because we had this. It was under gravel outside. If it rained, you worked out. If it snowed, you worked out. You did what you were and this stuff. And if you didn't slam, well, you know how in the gym how the guy picks up the weight and he drops them. Oh no, you do that, somebody's beating you up because. That's all they have. And if it breaks, you ain't getting no more. You know, it's all old school gym stuff, you know. I mean, it wasn't much to it, but they, believe me, they made the best out of it. So I'd do that. But uh, one of the cool, a couple of cool things I did was in there. I mean, they call it cool. I mean, uh, when I got there, when I, I was after Thanksgiving. So the guard that was over at the uh, powerhouse, I knew him. He's a cool guy anyway, and he said, uh, Hey, I need you. He said, Foils, I know you're an iron worker. And they know everything about you. I want to put a Christmas tree up on top of the powerhouse up there. I want you to go up there, check it out, and figure out if there's a way we can build a stand to put a Christmas tree up there, a big tree. All right. How do I get there? I'm going to point you out, show you how, and they go out there. Of course, they follow you and watch you. you know. They don't go up there with you, but they just watch you. I mean, I guess if they want to shoot you, they shoot you down. <laughs> Where are you going to go, you know? So I went up this old rickety ladder that went to the top of this. and had several places, you know, you step off, platform, go up the next day, go up the next day, all the way at the top of this thing. And uh, there was steel drain pits up there. There was a flat roof, big steel drains up there. So I took measurements and drew a blueprint of what I thought, you know, and then down I went. And I said, well, we need a big angle R&D, and we can bolt it up here, and here's, you know. So I made this whole thing up, took it up there, took the nuts off this deer, bolted down to it, and then... Hand pulled up a giant Christmas tree, and then they wanted lights on it, so we put lights on it and did all this stuff, you know. And uh, I mean, of course, nobody's at a fast pace in prison, you know. I mean, you're going to be there a while, so it's no hurry. So we do all this stuff, and then pull electric to it and all that. Oh, yeah, big deal. We got, you know, a Christmas tree up there. And I kept complaining. I said, We're going to get killed going up down this ladder. I said, I've been armor girl. He goes, Good. You know so much about it. You think we need a new ladder? Build one. Uh, I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, build a ladder. Build a new ladder to go up there. Paint it, everything, new platforms, build everything. So I said, all right, where's the material at? And this is what I need and all this. So there's another guy in there. There's a 
drug guy. Anyway, me and him got along good, so we took our time and built that and built it in sections so we could hand pull it up. And it's not like you're getting a crane to put this big ladder up, you know. Built it, so we did that and built that. But while I was up there, we built this ladder. It took a long time, and we got it and painted it and did all that stuff. Oh, yeah, it was a big deal. So, And I guess if you know safety belts, of course, they fall off. It's just another prisoner gone. <laughs> so anyway, uh, while I was up there, I kept asking, I said, what is that deal that's broke off up that hole up there? It's broke off. And he goes, finally, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, there's a deal up there. It's broke off up there. A pipe that comes up out of there. There's steam comes out of that thing. What is that? It's supposed to be something... So I'll see something on that thing. Should it go up farther and let the steam out with a cap on it or something? And he said, you know, he kept bugging me. I'd see it all the time, you know. And he goes, oh, no, it's where that steam whistle goes. And I go, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it's right over there. So he took me over there, and he said, there it was. And this big old round thing with a flapper on it. And he said, that's uh, the steam whistle. I said, what's that for? And he goes, do you ever watch uh, uh, Escape from Alcatraz? I said, yeah. He said, you ever see the part on there where they blow the whistle? I said, yeah, I've seen that. He goes, that's it. Because everything in there, see, they built Marion Prison Marion uh, uh, prison for Alcatraz prisoners. When they shut down Alcatraz, they built Marion for those prisoners. So that's where they were all shipped. Everybody. The bad ones. Yeah. So, like we'd wash our hands in a sink. It was one of the big, deep old sinks that come from Alcatraz. Everything in there, you know, facilities like that come from there. So they shipped everything out of Alcatraz over there, you know, that they could use. And that whistle was one of them. So there's nothing cool about being in prison but being there. You know, probably the coolest thing, I fixed that thing up and put the whistle back up, and then on Saturdays they'd blow it. <laughs> but anyway, so. Wow. Yeah, there was things like that you did. Then uh, There, there had to be a moment. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Jeff. There had to be a moment where... Depression, some sort of depression set in. Oh, it was, and, it was, uh, most and all the time. Bitterness and bitterness towards the people that oh. you kind of feel that put you there. Yeah, it was uh, that went through a lot, you know, especially, um, especially when you would like, I mean, like I, my mom and my boy would come down every other weekend, and then of course Cole was working, you know, at the shop, and then. And my daughter would come down. She was working at a shop, you know, and she keep me informed and back and forth. And, you know, and you ain't supposed to run no kind of business, and that's the only way I could do anything is to get, you know, talk to her when they come come down. And when you heard what those people were doing, how he's building a call now, and he went off, and he's got these dealers, and all of our dealer files are gone, and blah, blah, blah. We got, you know, when they got digging into what else had been happening, you know, it was just, that's the frustrating part, you know, and you're wondering, uh I mean, yeah, you're, you're you go into a mode that, um, yeah, it ain't good. So, yeah, you get depressed a lot. Uh, there's a lot of depression in prison. Some of these guys won't get out of bed all day. Now, there's nothing say they might chew on them. What are you gonna do? So, if you don't show up for work, are you gonna you know show up your job? What are they gonna do? You know, the worst thing they're gonna do is throw you in a hole. You know, and some of them, their jobs are nothing. I mean, when you, you're taking thousands of people in this prison, there's only so many jobs you can have people do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all right, your job today, Rocky, your job, Rocky, is to do the six rows of steps. You dust them off and clean them off every morning, you know. And, and Jeff, you do the next six rows, and that's your job all day. You know, and there's so much stuff like that, you know. So uh, I got a job where you worked your tail off, really, for a while. but um, And... Uh, so anyway, I mean, there were some things in there that you did that was like, I mean, it, it was, I'll put it like this. When you're in prison, it's survival mode, what you're in. I mean, you don't have anything, and you can't believe what prisoners can make out of nothing, you know. For example, you know, like like I was telling you just a minute ago, you would buy, like, um, vegetables, like you could buy rice on the commissary, okay, or you get one of the kitchen guys to bring you some down. So a big meal in there. Uh, was to put rice and green peppers and onions and mix that all up and get some seasoning from somebody out of the kitchen and you know to get it out and you know what those guys would take those kitchen jobs for that reason so they could sneak that stuff out and sell it for stamps see so they had commissary money so you could get anything like that you wanted to mix this with and there's a microwave you could use so you could make this so let me ask you this if all you get is your tennis shoes and your stuff and you get a Bible down it how are you going to make this? What are you going to make it in? 
What are you going to use to stir it? How are you going to chop the vegetables up? You know what I'm saying? So you get in a survival mode. So they were working on a building after we'd have to walk past. There were some ironworkers working on a building, putting a roof on a building. And every day we'd walk past there, and, and a lot of sheets, when you put sheets on the side of the building, come with pallet boards around them, you know. And I kept looking and looking. I'd tell them boys, I said, I'd yell up at them and say, yeah, I'm an iron, I'm an iron worker. You ain't supposed to talk to them, you know. And no kidding, 392, you know, and they'd tell their local number. So one day I went by, I said, I ain't going to say nothing. And so I got one board off of the pallet, took it over to the powerhouse. So got on the, there was band saws there in the carpenter shop they had and all that. And they don't watch you all the time. So cut out a design of a wood spoon. And then I uh, took the thing over there and took a grinder, and I ended up taking a grinder and cutting it all out with a grinder. You can imagine that. I got it under the welding uh, hood so I, that when the smoke would go up there. And then I got over over the belt sander and sanded that thing into a spoon and drilled a hole in it and put a little leather thing in there. I found a piece of leather in there off a shoestring and put that in there with a little loop on it. And then I went over to a cutting torch and spun that thing around like you would a, a call and took a torch and flamed it and cleaned that thing all up. Hell, it looked like a duck call in there. I made So that was my spoon, the Sturtis. So that day you put it down your pants. It was cold outside. Put it down inside your coat and down your pants. And in you go and hope you don't get caught with it. And then put it under your bunk or hide it up up above. I was in the top bunk so you could reach the bar joist in the top and hide it up there. Now we need a bowl. Where do you think you're going to find a bowl? Well, you can't get nothing like that out of the kitchen because that's all locked down. All the tools, everything are locked down, see? So we find a five-gallon bucket in the powerhouse. We take a grinder and cut the bottom part off a couple, three inches and clean that thing all up and smooth the edge out, and that was our bowl. So that was the bowl and the spoon. Now now we got to cut these vegetables up, right? Well, now the worst thing is to find something to cut that with. They ain't going to give you that, right? So take a piece of aluminum, a little bitty three-inch piece of aluminum, a little bitty thing, and grind that thing up nice and a little sharp like a little uh, chopping blade and that's the worst thing we're going to get caught with and sneak it across over there right to like the last minute and crawl up them bar joists and hide it and then it's anybody's you know well we need a chopping board now so it's a piece of plastic sign up there it says do not enter and you take that off and get that and there's your chopping board so then about once every two months there they come by and do a month once a month and do a major search and they find all your stuff and can't figure out whose it is because it's not out of your bunk, and so away it goes, and build another one, you know. So it's survival. <laughs> the simplest things in life, you know, now, man, it's a big, important thing to me, you know, so uh, when you get in that mode. So, so well, after the uh, – no, go ahead. No, nah, I'm just going to say we're just about out of time. But, Jeff, sure. I think that we're next week. I think next week we really, really getting get into the interesting part of the story. Okay. You, you made you made mention of a hole today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll just give him a little uh, tease of what it was. Uh, you know, I left that job. I, I asked to get out of that job to get a simpler job where it only took me two minutes a day to do, so I could exercise more. Well, after about two months of being in that powerhouse, so I did that. Next thing you know, I worked out all day long, and I'll tell you next week why. And uh, but that's that's how I kept my sanity and how you would go to sleep at night. Also, you know, I mean, you wear yourself out to, so you wouldn't have to see everything that goes on and listen to yelling and screaming, and they all think they're rappers and all that at night. So um, it was a zoo. So I'll just put the tease into this, but. 54 days into this thing, 54 days into this deal, I got 54 days left. I mean, you look at a calendar, Rocky, like every day marking days off. It's a big deal. You make a calendar of a piece of paper, you figure out what the days are, make your own calendar, you put it up, and you're marking it off daily, you know. And uh, you know exactly uh, how many days are everything to you. So um, I had 54 days left. I was a model prisoner. I hadn't done anything wrong. I was just exercised, done what I was supposed to do, no cell phones, no drinking, no nothing, passed every, you know, DUI or breathalyzer, everything it was. I didn't want nothing. They knew I did. Nobody even watched me. 54 days left, 2.30 in the afternoon, I'm running. By that time, I was teaching an ab class in the afternoon, 
in uh, workout class, and uh, they come and get me and handcuff me, and I go over with the terrorists and, and uh, child molesters down in, in the worst of that part, down in a hole, and with no idea why. And I'll end it right there for this week. Yeah, and then you got to understand, that, man, this is where your part of the story freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Look, we're going to talk about the why next week, of why you got put there, but listening to you tell, you know, when you and I have been talking off the air, listening mm-hmm. to you talk about the hole, 105 mm-hmm. degrees outside, no air conditioner, no fan, no nothing, you're in a little bitty box about to just freaking Have die. Concrete cell, yeah. bars on So we're going to get into that next week. We're shooting uh, ducks. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, and there and there's there's a lot more to this story even after prison. I think we'll cover right. probably both of those right. next week. And the okay. fact, the biggest fact, of this whole podcast is going to come out next week. The one that disturbs me the most outside of the whole. We're going to talk about that next week. Okay. Jeff, thank you for being patient with me. And, and I'm sorry that I was running behind this week getting this recorded. It's all good with me. I appreciate it's it, all bud. Good. Well, we want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.